Hi, and welcome to this special members episode of Forest for the Future. The series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forest. And why is this a special episode? It is because in this episode, and also the next one, we will be seeing FSC membership democracy in action. More specifically, we will be handing over the microphone to some of the FSE members, and we will be diving into some of those motions that they have proposed for the FSE International General Assembly coming up. The General Assembly is due to COVID-19 being held virtually for the first time ever, and that means that our members have also had to discuss everything in a virtual setting. In this episode, we will be looking at two motions, focusing on how FSC can use technology as part of the auditing process and how more technology in FSC can help us and the certified companies around the world. The one motion we will be looking at asks FSC to start mandating forest management certificate holder to supply us with boundary data shape files. This will enable much more earth observation. The other one asks for FSC to make the remote auditing option that was introduced as a reaction to the COVID pandemic a permanent one. Before we dive into discussions with the motion proposers and a gentleman who's a bit skeptic about them, we will be hearing from Joanna Nivakowska on what is FSC actually already doing in this field, just as a bit of background. Hi, Joanna. Welcome back to the podcast. You're a regular guest on the show. And I'm hoping that you can help us give the listeners an overview on what FSC is already doing in two different areas connected to the motions that we are going to discuss today. The first one, boundary data and earth observation. I know it's a complex topic, but can you give us a two-minute intro to what FSC is already doing? Actually, the main message is that we do it. <laughs> so we have published a few years ago the platform, the map, that allows us to publish those maps of certified forests that were voluntarily contributed by our certificate holders. So basically, we gave them the process, we gave them tools so that they could submit to us the boundaries. This is our current format that we are using for exchanging this data with certificate holders. And for those of you who have some knowledge about GIS, you surely know that this is the main format, the most famous and most usable format in this technology. What we have still in plans is that we would like to provide more format options for submission of this data. So not only receive shapefiles, but give possibility to stakeholders to contribute the data in different way. With this, we very much hope that it will facilitate submissions from those stakeholders who are maybe not so familiar with GIS softwares and would like to use tools that are more commonly available, such as Google Maps. And what are we using that boundary data for? At the moment, we have two primary uses. First one is transparency. Is showing our different stakeholders that this is where our certified forests are located. This is important for auditing purposes for those stakeholders who may have uh, wanted to participate in specific certification processes. And on the other hand, we are using this data to directly contribute to quality and transparency and objectivity of audit process itself because this data can be used in our GIS portal. 
mm-hmm. which is an auditing tool. And I invite all of stakeholders, all the listeners to maybe come back to one of our podcast episodes on this tool again. I'll post a link in, in the description text. I believe it was number 14. The second motion of the day is on remote auditing. Now, COVID-19 and the pandemic forced us to look into remote auditing. Can you tell us a bit about what we've learned so far from a technical point of view? It will be much more challenging to do it in two minutes, but I will try. <laughs> so, of course, for, for nearly every individual on this planet, COVID uh, appeared to be quite a challenge. For us as well, as a reminder, and to understand the level of this challenge, I will only remind everyone that uh, when FST is setting requirements in our standards, including those for auditing, it's normally a long process, very engaging process with multiple stakeholders and takes normally several years. Suddenly we got a COVID and we realized that audits cannot happen while our standards do require it. So that led to a risk that many of our certificates would have to be suspended according to our own requirements because auditors could not perform such evaluations. So, of course, we had to change those normative requirements in order to allow some other tools. We applied a special tool in our normative framework, which is called derogation. It's an exception to the rules that we are issuing very specific circumstances. So the derogation that we have issued simply allowed to either postpone the audit or modify it to implement the remote techniques. And uh, the remote techniques could only be allowed in certain circumstances. And this is how we also introduced much earlier that we planned to our normative framework the risk element. We required from certification bodies that they should assess the risk of their certificate holders' operations according to certain criteria and examples that we gave them. And if this certified operation was low risk, then remote options were allowed. If the risk was medium, then usually we point to hybrid method of an audit including part of audit being a desk one and another part at the same time or later uh, would require to be in-person audit. And finally, high-risk operations were not eligible for using these options. And normally, as a general rule, with them said, unfortunately, this audit would have to happen in person. And if that means suspension of a certificate, we accept that because we Mm. care about credibility of our system. We have a lot of learnings from all of this process. As pandemic was developing, we had to come back and come back to those different derogations and different flexibility measures to reassess them. And uh, Mm. all of those learnings we now want to utilize in upcoming or ongoing revisions of the standards that do regulate how the audits are conducted. Okay, so now we've gotten a bit wiser about what FSC is already doing. Let's then dive into what the members are suggesting that we do more or do better. Let's start by having them introduce themselves. My name is Seth Zuckerman, and I'm the executive director at Northwest Natural Resource Group. We're an NGO based in Seattle, Washington, in the U.S., and we help people in our region practice ecological forestry, both directly through education, through helping them carry out harvest plans and prepare management plans. I'm Melissa Graham. I'm the technical director of SCS Global Services Forest Products Chain of Custody Program. My involvement with FSC began when I started at SCS Global Services 
almost 12 years ago now. Initially, I actually started on the account management side, but I became an auditor myself in 2011, and I've been on the technical side of our chain of custody program since then. My name is Gareth Marie, I'm based in the northeast of uh, South Africa. I don't know if you guys know it, but been in forestry my entire life. Worked as a forester for a decade or so. Then uh, I was actually responsible for the second certificate issued in South Africa, and then several more after that. In 2002, I joined SGS. I was the uh, global manager for the forest certification program for about 17, 18 years, left two years ago and started working on my own. So I'm now a private consultant uh, doing a lot of FSC work, a lot of setups, a lot of both FM and chain of custody, and then also just environmental and forestry consulting. So that's me. Thank you all for you. There's clearly a lot of experience from decades of work basically in the in the room today. We are going to talk about different aspects of digitalization in FSC and using remote technologies. And there are two motions on this. So we're just going to dive into those two motions first before we go into the deeper discussion of them. So Seth, you are the proposer of motion 61, which is called compile a digital map of FSC certified forest worldwide. Can you just briefly introduce us to what it is that you'd like FSC to do and why? We have two aims with this motion. And the first is to increase FSC's internal credibility <laughs> so that if there's a question about a certified forest, the FSC staff and secretariat can know where it is and what it looks like from the air. And it seems clear to us that every FSC forest should be held to that standard. The second, we'd like to increase transparency, given that the expectations about transparency have grown considerably since the FSC began operations in the mid-1990s. Now, nowadays, making environmental claims without a map is like publishing an academic paper without footnotes. So this mm -hmm. motion aims to help certificate holders who are willing to take that step make their map public if they want to. So once they've uploaded the map for internal purposes within the FSC, they would have the option of making it public which they can now do, of course, voluntarily, but this would make it part of the routine workflow of being certified. So we expect that it would lead to more forests appearing on that public map. And I, I just wanna, I realize, you know, one of the things I've learned through this process is how diverse the local context is across all of the countries where the FSC operates. And this led me to revise the motion in a few different ways and to include exemptions for countries where it would be illegal to disclose this information, for example, and also to provide for the secretariat in implementing this motion to make any necessary accommodations for people with lower levels of technical capacity or for smallholders for whom this would be a great burden, or perhaps group certificates where there are thousands of small landowners of one or two hectares. Those instead could be represented by points on a map instead of by full polygons showing the entire location of the forest holding. So your intent for the motion is to increase transparency for FSC? And internal credibility so that FSC can more readily respond to challenges which come from all quarters all the time about whether a certain piece of land should be certified or not. And so for forest to be certified in the name of FSC and FSC not to be able to put a pin in the map and say, oh, this is what they're talking about. Oh yes, this is part of the FMU that is certified, to me, seems ridiculous. 
So this, in this day and age, when geospatial information is so readily available and so easy to exchange. I'm trying to avoid too many abbreviations. So when you say FMU, you mean Forest Management Unit. Yes. Yeah, I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to keep that. The, the acronym is too general. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So that was an initial introduction to your motion. And then, Melissa, you have a motion that's not the same, but down on the same kind of path, though. You're the proposer of motion 57, which is called Expanding Opportunities for Remote FM, Forest Management, and COC Auditing Beyond COVID through a Risk-Based Approach. Now, can you introduce us to what that means? The motion seeks to take all of those lessons learned through the remote auditing that we've conducted over the last year and a half and incorporate them into the actual evaluation standards. And we want to make sure that on a risk-based approach, we can include more opportunities for remote auditing. And that's not to say that we are replacing all on-site audits with remote audits. I, I do want to be clear, that is not the point of the motion. We still want to go on-site. We want to talk to people. We want to visit the forest. We want to visit all organizations. But when there is an opportunity when we can do that remotely, we want to be able to do that. We want to have that flexibility. Can you tell us what's the difference between a desk audit and a remote audit? Right. So a desk audit has always been allowed when an organization does not take any physical possession of materials. So for the traders and the brokers out there, we can do a phone call. They can send us all of their information via email and we can go back and forth and then conduct interviews over the phone. Uh, now we use Microsoft Teams more often or other information technology platforms. So desk audits have always been around. Remote audit's different. A remote audit is where you still may have that opportunity to review all sorts of documentation online, you know, through email, but then you go a step further and you start to get into other information communication technologies where we might use drones, for example, out mm -hmm. in the forest. Or I can tell you a personal experience <laughs> if that's allowed. But when I first started doing the remote audits, I would use FaceTime for actual walkthroughs of a facility. So I would be talking through FaceTime on their phone, walking through a facility and asking them to, okay, can you please go in this direction? Can you please go that direction? And then have the interviews with the folks that are there in the building. And it worked quite well. A remote audit is really expanding the use of information communication technology to reach the places that we would normally reach on site. And, and why is that you want to be able to do that more? Honestly, the rationale for the motion is that we just want to ensure that auditing techniques continue to adapt. We want them to become more efficient, make it easier for organizations to join the FSC system, and then for current certificate holders to lift a cost burden that might make it easier for them to stay in the system. And the timing's right, and we have a lot of experience to build upon. Garrett, I'd, I'd like to hear from you now. What do you think of these two motions? 
Well, first of all, let me just state transparency and all of that in FEC for, is, is important for me. And I support that 1 million percent because that's what's going to make this thing grow and become something really functional around the globe. And anything that, that where we have a problem with transparency, invariably you have problems with your stakeholders and all of that, and that's not good for anyone. I just want to make a generic comment. In the FSC system, I think we all know that there are just so many things happening. If you look at the motions that have been um, passed in past uh, general assemblies, how many of those are still not being activated or not being worked on and it's simply because there's just so much and to put even more stuff on the table at this point in time to me is just it's just too soon FSC needs to sort out the the basics we need to get the basics right before we start moving on to you know more more interesting stuff like the like the digital mapping following on that uh, Seth I don't know if you're familiar with the transparent forums process that happened a couple of years ago no, please fill me in. Okay, so that was exactly what you're proposing: is that the all the forest, the certified forest, will go onto a database. You know exactly what you're proposing: a digital database um, with remote sensing data, and all the all the different information attached to the different polygons within those maps, and all of it. That went nowhere, and one of the main reasons was cost. The main, the moment you try and get something useful out of those maps, the cost just skyrockets. The detail that you need from a map to actually get something meaningful out of that map it requires that you have very good uh, resolution in those maps now for many countries in the world that's not an issue but i sit in africa and in many of parts of the world that i know very well that is just not an option it's just not going to happen i know gis backwards i worked on it for many years i know remote sensing so I understand the technology, I understand the science, and I would love that to be part of the FSC, but I think we're at a point in time where it's just too much too soon. Beth, what do you think? What I understand from what you say about the, the Transparent Forest Initiative is that there is a desire to have a whole lot more information, so many more, I don't know if you call them themes or fields in GIS, uploaded along with these shape files, so there'd be more attributes for each polygon that could be accessed. And what we're looking for here is something very simple and straightforward, just the outline of where the forest is located. It's something actually which, without any special GIS software, you can carry out right in Google Maps on any web browser when you have an internet connection. Uh, so we've really tried to strip this down. So although when you look at it as the entirety of FSC, it being a very difficult proposition, I think for each individual certificate holder, it would not be extremely difficult. I think it would be a very manageable thing for people who already use GIS, such as, as ArcMap or ArcGIS in their own businesses. It would be a matter of exporting just one shapefile and uploading it. And for those of us, we happen at our NGO, we do have an Arc license, but one of our foresters doesn't use that. He uses Google Earth. He's drawing polygons all the time and sending them to our GIS person to convert into ARC. And so the same thing would be happening for certificate holders who are just on a web browser. Does that reassure you, Gareth? That's much less than I thought the idea was, but I'm just a little bit skeptical about what the value of the information is you would be able to get out of that. Obviously, you will then know exactly where the forest is located. You will know the boundaries of that, but you'll know nothing more. So, if, Seth, if you could maybe just un explain to me the value that you see in that. So there's both internal value 
for the accountability of the system to know which forests are being certified. For example, on the most extreme, if there were to be, say, deforestation happening within the boundaries of a certificate, it would be much easier to ascertain whether a deforested area was within a certified forest management unit or not. For certificate holders who choose to release the information and choose to make their forest boundaries public, I think that overall, if you look at a satellite map of forest land that is managed industrially and forest land that is managed to FSC standards, I would think that it would be evident from the air that the forest that is being managed to FSC standard would look different in many ways, at least in our part of the world. And so it would help to reinforce the brand of FSC and substantiate some of the claims that are being made about its benefits. I suppose it would also help FSC do impact analytics? Internally, if FSC were to use that inf the information that way, sure. But of course, protecting the privacy of certificate holders who had chosen not to sure. release their boundary shape file. Sure, of course, I meant on an aggregated form. For me, the other thing is also about risk. From what I've seen, I've worked in just about every continent on this planet in forest management and for that matter, chain of custody. So I've been all over the world. The highest risk is in your tropical forests. That's where the ugliest stuff is happening. That's where most damage, I think, is being done. To detect that through remote sensing, you need a really good resolution because just to detect uh, harvesting, I'm not talking about clear filling, I'm talking about selective harvesting, which is also happening illegally in those forests. Even a road, you need very good uh, resolution to pick those up on a GIS system or remote sensing. And then again, that, that means costs and all of it. But I would still think that's where we should focus our attention is in those high-risk areas where I think a lot more can be done in terms of transparency. Maybe, maybe this is a good transition into what you don't think about remote sensing sensing as such in, in auditing processes. And it sounds like you may might be okay with it in lower risk countries, but saying it shouldn't be done in high risk countries. Is that what I no. could gather from you? No, it's the other way around. Let's call it northern and southern. We both know the, the, the concept more mm -hmm. northern and southern. Right. The, the southern countries more risk and there's more need for it in the southern countries than there would be in the northern countries. But the cost factor in, is, is far more demanding in the southern countries than they are in the northern countries. And invariably, the northern countries, people already have this technology. They have a lot of this information. They have technicians. They have you know, all the information they need. And that's often lacking in these southern countries. I'm 100%. Mm -hmm. I'm, because I know the technology very well, I know what it can do for something like auditing. I know how it can lead an auditor through just planning your audit. Because when I go on site to ask the company for the annual plan of operations, I go through that. And I do my best, but that's my only guide that I really have as to what's going on within these forests and where should I go and have a look. But if I have a map in front of me with really good information, I can do that planning far better than I can do so at the moment. So I'm not at all against it. I'm just saying that I think it's too soon, too much. So if I may speak to Melissa's proposal, the past two years, I've done many, many, many chain of custody and forest management remote audits. And on the chain of custody side, when you're dealing with printers and packaging and all of that, straightforward stuff, um, no problem. I see absolutely actually no reason to go on site for most of those clients, really. But when you start dealing with something like a huge pulp mill or you doing, I don't know if any of you know, charcoal auditing, um, that is quite a different story. You can do it. 
but you're not getting optimal value out of that audit. I, I, I walk away from those audits and I always feel I've missed something, I should have been on site, et cetera, et cetera. Forest management-wise, it's a very different story. I do a lot of training. I run an audit training program. I do training for many companies and all of that. But when I do auditor training, my core message to the auditor is always, you have to have 360-degree vision at all times. You have to see everything all the time. And that's where this whole thing breaks down. You know, when I go on an audit, at least 50% of what I respond to and evaluate, I would not have been aware of without being on site. Because you're just driving down a road and you glimpse down a side road and you see something there and you say, oh, stop, let's go there. Let's go and have a look what's going on. That is impossible in a remote audit. Even if you have, I've done remote audits with what we call them hybrid audits. So I, I'm remote, but I have a local junior auditor or a local specialist on, on ground with a camera or a cell phone where I direct this person via the cell phone. They show me things and all of that. But still, I don't have that 360-degree vision, which for me is critical. So I think we will probably, as technology evolves, obviously we, this kind of thing will become easier and easier and easier. But what we are right now, I think that chain of custody, many certificates, perfectly fine. Forest management, I would say probably, I don't know, 80% of certificates, I would I would prefer not to do it. Again, uh, I just have to emphasize that I walk away from those audits and I invariably feel I have not done the competent audit that is really required here. And not because I'm not competent, but because I have not seen what I should have seen. Melissa, how would you respond to that worry of not being able to see what you are supposed to see? I would agree that there are going to be situations where you are not going to be able to see everything that you should be seeing. And that's when we have to take it on a risk-based approach. Past performance, what's the level of risk in the area? In those situations, remote audit should not be used. It, it shouldn't be done. That needs to be integrated right, into the instructions or the evaluation standards that certification bodies have to follow. There needs to be a clear guidance on situations when remote audits would not be appropriate. And those exist, absolutely. Just in terms of past performance, I've just this past year audited two companies which had pretty good audit records. But the audits we conducted, so these were also hybrid audits. The one audit we actually did most of the documentation off-site, and then we went on-site just for the field visits and all of it. And we picked up stuff that led to the suspension of the one company, and well, the other company did not do so well, but they didn't get suspended. The point I'm trying to make is that even though they had a very good track record, the last audit they had, they performed pretty poorly. If I had not gone on-site, I would never, ever have picked those things up. That's possible throughout any audit cycle yeah, yeah through, for possible. any organization because some at least on the again on the chain of custody side organizations are allowed to waive their audits in certain circumstances yeah. and so you would miss those things if you because you wouldn't have conducted the audit and then the yeah. next year when you conduct that audit uh, you would absolutely identify those issues and that would be another consideration for creating a risk-based approach creating a framework yeah. within the standards that say okay, maybe not every year, right? Maybe not for an evaluation yeah. audit. You go on site, you ensure they have their system set up. I would even argue that in some situations, that first annual audit, that's when you really identify, okay, how is this system working for this organization? And so maybe that's not the one. Maybe that first annual audit is not the one that should be remote. 
but mm -hmm. there might be opportunities within that five-year audit cycle to conduct a remote audit. Mm -hmm. Both of your motions are actually pushing on processes already ongoing inside FSC to a large extent within digital reporting, digital audit reporting formats, remote sensing, GIS portal, etc. Should your motions be seen as an eagerness to speed up these processes? The processes are already ongoing. FSC has spent a lot of time thinking about remote auditing technologies. So really it's about the support of those processes. Like you said, FSC is already working on the content of the motion. So I feel like this can be a scene as a support from the membership and say that these actions should continue and they should be prioritized. We want to make sure that certification bodies are using a risk-based framework and making that same decision when remote audits are appropriate. But that's why it's happening now, right? It's really to show that support. The revision of standards is a long process and it takes a lot of comment and participation. And we just want to make sure that it's included in that process. So I don't know if speeding up is the right word. What about you? Is yours also just a support? I would say that it's an example of what uh, ecologists might call convergent evolution, where we've come at the same thing from two different sides. And so the original impetus, I think, within FSC was internal. And then my original inspiration was to create as wide a public map as possible where the public can see the value of certified forests and we can all stand behind them publicly. But then as I realized, as I reflected on what the issues had been the last time the motion was proposed and heard concerns about privacy, I changed it so that the only compulsory part of the motion would be providing shapefiles for internal use by FSC. But I believe that once people have had to do that, if all it takes for them to do is to check a box that says, yes, you may include my boundary shape files in the public map of FSC forests, I think that will happen in much more widespread fashion than right now where people have to make a separate process of uploading their shape files to the Open Knowledge Repository. You know, another piece of work that gets added to their list, which will invariably as I know my own list of t tasks to do, will invariably fall to the bottom. I think also one of the things is maybe to reflect upon the fact that a lot have happened since the last General Assembly and FSC in terms of how transparent companies want to be in general about all sorts of different things. Garrett, I'd like to return to you because it doesn't sound like you're against the no. motions as such or digital auditing format as such. So... Is it just a time frame that worries you, Mary? No. Okay, so just in terms of the mapping one, so it's a proposal. If that can just be integrated with what's happening at the moment, then then that's fine. I mean, it's just lower expectations, maybe. I think a lot of stakeholders may look at this and say, oh, wonderful, this is what I've been waiting for all my life, and then discover that actually all I have is a shapefile that, that, that shows the boundaries of the forest. So I'm not um, not against it. I support it. I'll just say, let's just be careful with what we do and how quickly we, we do that. In terms of Melissa's proposal, my main concern is with forest management and that we need to be extremely careful that we don't open a Pandora's box with this kind of thing. The other thing that I'd just like to say from a technical perspective and what's happening at the moment, and I know that's because of the pandemic, 
but clients have the option of actually choosing a full remote order that's obviously not healthy. If we move out of the pandemic, that decision must only be taken by the certification body, not the certificate holder, or they may not play any role in that decision. One of the things that none of you have actually mentioned, but which I know has been one of the main worries about both of these motions is smallholders and how smallholders like small family businesses would cope with these digitalization motions. What are your thoughts on that, Seth? How do you see smallholders in this? Well, I think that there can be accommodations for smallholders, and we want that to be figured out in the implementation of the motion. Perhaps that is related to country-by-country assessment of what the technological capacities are and how widespread they are. Right now, at least in the U.S., it's very common for people, if they're giving directions, to drop a pin on uh, Google Maps and send it. And I can imagine that could be done pretty much from anywhere where there's cell phone access or GPS access. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Melissa, what about you and and smaller companies in remote auditing? On the chain of custody side, I think that in some situations, it's going to be a benefit, you know, for Mm -hmm. a small organization where the risk is low and we can conduct a, a remote audit where, you know, that could result in a lower cost for them and keep them in the system for another year. For the FM side, if it's more complicated to do a remote audit, then it shouldn't be conducted, right? We, the idea is to not make the audit more difficult for an organization. It's certainly not to make it less rigorous. So a remote audit needs to work for a smallholder and the CB. And if it doesn't, or if it doesn't fall within that the parameters of a risk designation that allows a remote audit, then the remote audit wouldn't occur. But there's also the benefits of keeping smaller holders in the system because it can be more efficient and can be easier to do. And with times of economic challenges, then smallholders, just like any other organizations, are looking for ways to reduce their costs. and. This could be one demonstrable way. Have you seen during the pandemic that costs for auditing have been lowered in general? Travel costs, sure. If we do not have to pay for an auditor to go on site, then absolutely, that is very demonstrable for a lot of the smaller organizations. Maybe not Mm -hmm. so much for the larger ones where the travel cost might be less significant. Do you see them taking less time too, or is it the same amount of time that you have to spend on a remote audit versus an in-person audit? Really, the actual audit time may not be that different because you still have to reach all of those critical control points that you normally have to reach within an audit. Mm-hmm. We're almost at time for this podcast, and I'd like to just give you just one last chance, sum up your opinion for the listeners to bear in mind as we go into the General Assembly and go into voting over the next month. Garrett, if I start with you. In terms of SES's proposal for the, the digital mapping, I, I really believe that FSE needs to get the basics sorted out before we move on to other stuff. In terms of the remote auditing, I fully support that, but I also believe that there are many situations in the world where it's just not an option. And whatever we put into the standards needs to be very sure that we acknowledge that. Thank you. That was very concise. Melissa, if you were to sum up your rationale and your point of view. Some aspects of modern society are becoming more digitized and so much more work is done remotely. And that trend, it's already in place. 
before 2020, but the pandemic was an inflection point. So certification, auditing, verification services need to adapt to that or they risk becoming less relevant to the modern economy. And ultimately, the main takeaway is that remote audits can increase efficiency, they can reduce cost, and still remain a robust verification process. However, there are situations where a remote audit may not be able to be conducted, and those situations need to be understood, they need to be recognized, and in those situations, known that a remote audit would not be considered appropriate. Thank you. And Seth, you get to have the final words. Motion 61 is about transparency and how expectations of transparency have changed in the last 25 years that FSC has been operating. And I want everyone, as I think about this motion, to consider this question. Are we proud of the forest that we label certified by FSC? And if we are, then we should be happy to shine the light of day upon them. And that is the certification system that I want to be a part of. I actually like to end my podcast on such a mission-oriented note, so thank you for helping me do that. That's it. And what you just witnessed here is, to me, the power of FSC. Our members suggesting changes and discussing them, using all of the valuable on-the-ground knowledge as a starting point. If you are a member of FSC International, don't forget to let your voice be heard on these two motions and all of the other ones coming up for voting during our General Assembly. Voting will be open from October 25th to November 30th, 2021. It will happen virtually only. You can find much more information on our website for the General Assembly. It's called ga.fsc.org, where you can also register for the virtual event, which is going on from October 25th to October 29th. At the event, the motions will be presented and discussed again and you will find a series of exciting side events. We will, of course, also publish daily highlights, and you will find those in this feed, and if you're a member, also in the newsletter that you will be receiving. Until then, if you found this podcast interesting, I suggest that you start following Forest for the Future, where we look at innovations within FSC roughly every two weeks. I also encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovation and it's open for everyone. And you can also always get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I'm Laura Worm and this was Forest for the Future.